Medical information obtained from our website or on the live show is not intended to be a substitute for professional care. If you have, or you suspect you might, have an illness or other medical condition, you should consult a health care provider. The opinions expressed on this radio program are not necessarily those of the sports doctor, this radio show, or their sponsors. Hey, everybody, live from Chicago. Welcome. It's the Sports Doctor. I'm Dr. Bob Wild, sports podiatrist. Happy November. All things sports, medicine, fitness, and wellness brought to you by Global Schoolwear. Uh, school uniforms by Tommy Hilfiger, LER, Lower Extremity Review, and MVP Parent Magazine, <clears throat> and UK Health Radio. We've got a great doubleheader. Jan Van Brednikoff, he's a former NBA basketball player. He coached at Vanderbilt and Pepperdine Universities. He was president of VBK Court Vision. He'll be joining me along with Kimberly Archie. She's one of the champions of the uh, uh, protection of youth sports. She's the founder of National Cheer Safety Foundation and USA Sports Safety. Then the Sports Doctors in with some Bob Guider wisdom and your emails. First, um, Jan uh, Van Bledenkov, welcome to the Sports Doctor. Oh, great. It's great to be with you, Dr. Bob. I've heard, I mean, I talked to you off the air once or twice before and um, just think you do an unbelievable job and I, to you and I'm honored to be on the show. Great. Flattery will get you everywhere. Jan, give us some background on you and, and your great career uh, with uh, uh, the uh, NBA and your coaching. I think it, I mean, it obviously started at a very young age. My father was a coach for basically 50 years or a little bit less. He played professional basketball for a few years with the Knicks and then went right into hashtag, coaching immediately. Hashtag, hashtag, hey, sports parents. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. So I grew up around the game, you know, all sports, and I played all sports. And, you know, soccer and basketball were my two favorites. And as time wore on, I got taller, and it took me a while to grow into my body. But finally, my senior year in high school, I it all came together, and I had a good senior year. Our team was good, and then got a scholarship and went to Vanderbilt and then went on to play nine years in the NBA and two years in Italy right after that. So a lot of it was just from the exposure and, and you know, the competitiveness of seeing better players, being a, a young kid watching Bill Bradley at Princeton, uh, you know, take Princeton to the Final Four, which was unheard of, and watching the way he played and how he did well academically, um, you know, that was a great role model for me to follow when I was younger. And fortunately, you know, I, like I said, I got better. And I know at the end, I got down to five schools and somebody said, well, you know, one of Bill Bradley's five schools was Duke, um, Vanderbilt, Princeton. I forget the other two. And I said, well, gee, if Vanderbilt was one of his top five, it's, it'll be in my top five. And, and then they did a real good job recruiting me. And, and uh, I enjoyed all four years there. And you went on to coach, you know, it's such a big topic on the sports doctor, uh, Jan, is not only uh, what it takes to become a professional in any sport. It's one out of thousands and thousands and thousands. Uh, it's a great topic, both mentally and physically. Uh, but when you go on again, when you're becoming coaching, uh, we talk so much about the world of youth sports. I know you, you have been very, very involved in it in all different ages of coaching. And, uh, you know, that, that world has just exploded in so many different ways. And uh, uh, what are some of your thoughts and, and your background as, as coaching um, uh, these, these youngsters? And, and what ages were you coaching besides the college level? Well, I, I coached collegiately for 17 years in Division One, and I coached one year in the NBA. And then I coached 12 years in, the, in my VBK Basketball Academy in Nashville, Tennessee, because I played and coached at Vanderbilt, so I had some name recognition. And I really found out that in my last years of coaching in the collegiate side, I saw things a lot differently than in the beginning. I think so much of coaches feel the pressure to win, and you're consumed by that at all costs, so to speak, that you kind of 
coach with blinders on. And, you know, I had a very you good sure, You at, sure are in, you sure are in division one. You know, I went to Louisville, you know, so you know, well, you're talking about yeah. those kinds so of levels. Denny Crum had to be there when you were there. Yes. And, and you, you couldn't have picked a better role model in so many ways. The great Bill Bradley, uh, and oh, Princeton, Princeton was back in the news in the last year or two in, in men's basketball. Again, the, uh, so really a great, great role model, but, uh, so you work with the youngsters. You've seen, uh, again, all of these different kinds of pressures. We talk so much about the epidemic of overuse injuries, mentally and physically, the challenges. And, uh, of course, the challenges to win a Division One. if you didn't win, they replace you, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, you know, when you're coaching the collegiate level, it's, you know, you have to win games to keep your job. But then, you know, if you can win the game of life with with your players, then you're going to win on the court and you'll have a job for life, so to speak, as some of these coaches have obviously done that before. But, you know, on the younger side, I really noticed how, you know, the coaches were trying to motivate their players in a certain way or try to get them to come together as a team. The parents, you know, thought that their player, their son or daughter should be getting the ball more or whatever the, the coach doesn't know what he's doing, so to speak. And, you know, there's a schism there. And then you have the, the player in between them who's the coach is saying, do this. And the parents saying, do that. So I've really worked hard in my writing and talking to people about how to get the players, parents, and coaches all on the same page. And if you can, all the boats will rise with the tide. And I found that I was able to do that at different times uh, by utilizing the parents to be empowering them so that they do have a voice in what goes on. But at the end of the day, the coach has the gavel in his hand and can make that decision. But it, it, at the end, we all want the players and kids to enjoy the game of sports, get better at it, but learn the life skills that will last them a lifetime. And, you know, that's what I like so much about coaching. And I wish I had done that a little bit earlier in my career, but the pressure to win on the collegiate level was, was so severe. Well, it's interesting. The philosophy has gone from maybe somebody throwing a chair across the uh, slapping players around and parading them and ranting and raving uh, to the world of overzealous parents, the tremendous pressure, especially the more talented you are as a young boy or girl athlete, uh, many times the more the pressure is on to play, play hurt, get overscheduled. So this is why I always ask, you know, coaches long time like yourself, Jan, I always do ask you how your uh, your sports psychology skills are. <laughs> well, I I didn't take a course in psychology and but no, you had the experience. No, I know, but I'm saying that a lot of the coaches say that, you know, basketball, I mean, mental is the physical is three is the one. The game is three times more mental than it's physical. So you have to be a psychologist, even if you didn't get a degree in it. But there's no question that you have to constantly be thinking, you know, everybody has a story. Everybody's going through something. It's just when you have 13 players on a team, and you got two days to prepare for the next game, it's kind of hard for a lot of people to take a step back and really look into the eyes or feel what the players are going through and when they need a pat on the back or, you know, maybe just not a dressing down, but, you know, kind of bringing them to attention of what they have to do. Uh, it's a fine line. And, you know, I think that sports psychology has, you know, become more and more popular, especially on, you know, the individual sports like tennis and golf. Um, but it's a, it's a great thing. And I think oh, yeah. I know a lot a team, more now than I did a, when I was younger. not a professional team, a serious, uh, even college team that doesn't include that. Um, of course, you know, a couple of times a year, Jen, we have a contest on the sports doctor. We ask people what sports require the best athletes. It's a great question. So many different uh, uh, opinions. And always the sport of basketball is included in the, in the, that require all that running and jumping and change of direction, et cetera. And, uh, 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 how did you hold up physically all those years playing? Um, that's always a tremendous challenge, isn't it? Well, I, one thing that saved my career was uh, orthotics. And 
have flat feet and I had all sorts of problems with my Achilles when I was in college still. And then it was like my second or third year in the NBA. I finally, you know, got, we got a podiatrist who got me set up with sports orthotics and I wore them the rest of my career. And had I not been able to wear them, I don't think I would have been played much longer. I'll because, tell you, man, you're, you know, you're one of my best commercials. And we're going we're gonna to talk more about that whole area physically. Everybody listening to the sports doctor. I'm Dr. Bob Oyle, sports podiatrist. Go to my website, sportsdoctorradio.com. Even though I'm a year behind, we've got years of radio shows, all sorts of topics, international, national, local guests, a myriad of, of topics uh, in the world of sports medicine, fitness, and wellness. If you go to newspaper articles and magazines, uh, you can read a, a tremendous amount of great material, great information. We have thousands of followers, great sports medicine, fitness, wellness information. Uh, whether it's uh, uh, on X, used to be Twitter, at Sports Doc, uh, uh, radio, and we're talking uh, basketball, coaching, some of these challenges uh, with former NBA player uh, and uh, college coach and youth coach, Jan Brendikoff. Uh, so, again, taking up on that uh, role of um, the, uh, the, the sport of basketball and trying to make sure that coaches – uh, don't overdo it. Uh, there's so much running and jumping. Again, the role of the uh, one of one of the key points we make all the time is that not only orthotics, but strengthening the feet and ankles, working on balance, such a big deal. Um, how tall are you, Jan? I'm six eight. Okay, and isn't it amazing, six eight today? You're a point guard. <laughs> well, at that time, see, I was a point guard. Through my freshman year in high school, I was like 5'8 as a freshman. So I was very average height. So I played point guard my whole uh, life until I got to be a sophomore. We, we moved to L.A. and my father coached the Lakers. And then I started growing three you know, inches each year to finally become 6'8. So then I became a forward because I was tall enough. But Vanderbilt saw me bring the ball up to court against her and they said, Boy, he looks like a natural point guard, and that was one of the things that I liked about the way they recruited me as a point guard, and then I went on to play that for four years in college. Oh, yeah, that kind of experience, you know, that multifaceted uh, setup guy, regardless of the position, and uh, it's just amazing, like, again, all of the sports where we've seen the athletic ability has uh, improved dramatically, where we have uh, again, guy 6'10", 6'11", shooting three-point shots, being all multi. How do you like this new kid, uh, Wakayama? I hope I got his name right. <laughs> For, well, uh, he's really good, obviously, you know, to be as tall as he is, as young as he is. You know, he's kind of a generational player. He's not your typical, you know, low-post player or whatever. But you, when you see the Joker from Denver Nuggets play like he does, shoots three-pointers, puts the ball on the floor, brings it up, you know, more and more of the tall, younger players are getting to the point where they can dribble and, and make plays in the open court. So it makes for an exciting game, and it makes for a lot of positionless basketball where when I played back in the day, you know, you were either a point guard, a shooting guard, a small forward, big forward, or a center. Now it's you have a point guard maybe, and everybody else is... What years did you, you, know, what years did you play in the NBA, Jan? From 74 to 83, and then two years over in Bologna, Italy. Yes, and the, uh, it's just amazing, again, like we were talking about, the um, uh, both the mental and physical challenges of uh, being a professional athlete in such a physical sport like that, and then being involved. Uh, you know, your dad was a coach. You had all that different chemistry. You become a coach yourself. And then you find yourself again in the middle of that magic uh, group of parents, coaches, uh, young athletes. And, uh, you know, uh, you've, I know you've done a decent amount of writing. Didn't you uh, author a book on these topics, Jan? Yes, I've written three. But the first one, which is the coach's playbook, is ready to be published. And that's basically on all the things that a coach um, to be successful in in the, in the game of life and the game of relationships and growth and 
having a legacy to leave behind are all in that book because when I coached, a lot of that wasn't around. Everybody well, was well, like that's, uh, that's, I think, one of the key things you bring to the table. You talk again about that combination of factors. Uh, one of the reasons we're so excited about the upcoming documentary with uh, Chesapeake Films, Joe Franco, where our children play the challenge of youth sports is again, is the importance of the kids, the importance of the kids having fun. And even someone who became a professional and some of you might be dealing with kids who have those types of goals. When you're writing uh, about coaches, you really want to bring into the fact that, you know, the idea of becoming a good citizen, a good young man or woman, uh, you know, uh, having a good life is so important instead of just, driving yourself crazy with the goal of winning. Exactly. I, you know, you know we had a player. Gin, is there, is there, do you have, uh, uh, when are you going to have that book becoming available? Probably in a couple of weeks, you know, it's all oh, really? Is there a website where oh, people can just Google you, find out about the book? Sure. I guess we'll get it. We'll get it out there sooner than later. I, I just started to, um, teaching English at, a. A metro school down here in Florida, um, which I'm okay, teaching great, English. Jan, you're have to cut it off. But but I'm again, also Jan, really Jan Van Bredekoff. Hold on, Jan. Great interview. We'll be right back, everybody. The Sports Doctor. Hey everybody, it's Dr. Bob Weil, a sports doctor. I'm excited to announce the release of my new book, co-written with Sharky Zartman, hashtag Hey Sports Parents, an essential guide for any parent with a child in sports. You know, Sharky is a former Hall of Fame volleyball player. She's the mom of two daughters who became Division I volleyball players. Together we have over 70 years of combined youth sports experience. The goal of the book? Give you the essential tools and guidance to make your experience as a sports parent the best it can be. Hashtag Hey Sports Parents is divided into four sections. The first section, Sports Parenting 101. Sharky talks everything about uh, parenting, about coaching, that whole uh, interaction between parents and coaches, coaching your own kids. Uh, what's the, what are the things to really pay attention to? The second section is the Sports Doctors In, yours truly. Uh, my discussion of injury prevention and treatment, choosing the best shoes, youth sports and drugs, essential exercises, the dilemma of youth football, orthotics. Third section, uh, experts speak out. We bring together eight different experts in nutrition and sports performance and mental training in all aspects of coaching in that section. The last section is the parent's perspective, some insights from about a half a dozen parents of athletes. So everyone, hey, get out your megaphone, spread the word. Now available on Amazon. Order now. You'll be more confident. So will your young athlete. Hashtag, hey, sports parents. Hey everybody, Dr. Bob here. LER, Lower Extremity Review Magazine, is celebrating their 10th anniversary. It's been a decade of providing key uh, clinical and practical information about concerns, conditions, and treatment solutions for the lower extremity, both sports and non-sports alike. LER is the only multidisciplinary publication for doctors of all specialties, educators, therapists, and trainers. They inform practitioners on current developments in the diagnosis, treatment, and prevention of lower extremity injuries. LER prides itself on editorial integrity and evidence-based content. Their tagline, collaborative care for better outcomes, says it all. Hey, colleagues, go to lermagazine.com. Hey, everybody, we're back live from Chicago with the sports doctor. I'm Dr. Bob Weil, sports podiatrist. I want to welcome back Kimberly Archie. She's one of the real champions of youth sports safety. She's the founder of the National Cheer Safety Foundation. 
USA Sports Safety. Kimberly, welcome back to the Sports Doctor. Thanks for having me today. Give us some background on you and this whole world of cheerleading and youth safety, etc. I was a... I was a high school cheerleader, and then I went on to coach and do various aspects of competitive cheer, including being a safety official for the National Collegiate Acrobatic and Tumbling Association. But back in 2003, 20 years ago um, this month, my daughter was injured on her high school sideline cheerleading team, and they didn't have an emergency plan. And it really shocked me um, how it was handled. And then once I started looking into the regulations or lack of regulation in cheerleading, uh, then I started the National Cheer Safety Foundation. And that's how I got started. You know, it's interesting. Uh, For long before you were involved on the sports doctor, we talked about the fact sometimes some of the best uh, uh, women athletes I had seen were cheerleaders. Uh, you're really you're talking of gymnastics and dance and flying through the air and all of these different activities, and often it didn't get the um, uh, acclaim it deserved. Again, as as an athletic situation, and sometimes was uh, not considered you know that that big a deal physically, and that became a big deal to you, didn't it? Yes. So, you know, I started tracking cheerleading injuries after my daughter's injury so I could get a better understanding with more data what was going on. And what I saw was kids getting hurt, not leading cheers, but doing acrobatics and tumbling. And so then I began to realize that, yeah, they had interjected gymnastics into into leading cheers as a part of sort of competing with Title IX, which, you know, allowed uh, female athletes more sport opportunities. And so, therefore, cheerleading became more, even more athletic. And oh, yeah, regulations circus, circus didn't circus come along delay. with it. <laughs> you know, you mixed in some circuit disarray in that world. You weren't talking about somebody waving pom-poms around. You were talking about somebody doing triple jumps um, physically in, in that regard. And... Uh, that also included big time and has included whether it was the areas of, of some sort of coaching and or parent abuse, concussions. Um, you've been involved in all of that, haven't you? Yeah, so it, it really came from the data that we collected on the injuries. It showed us these patterns and we started partnering with sports organizations and different scientists and researchers, and the United States Sports Academy, um, which is and is known as the first university focused on sports only and sports education for bachelor's, master's, and doctorate. Um, and so uh, we began to see unveil before our eyes the focus of the national I and social media on sex abuse, concussions, heat illness, um, and so forth. So um, it's been uh, great over those 20 years to see the changes that have come about and the awareness. Very different now than it was 20 years ago. Uh, this is a, uh, part of the three uh, words and things we talk a lot about, Kimberly, regardless of I mean, the sports medicine topics, are the words awareness and education, and then the two words of positive action. You know, the idea, again, of understanding what we're dealing with here, uh, uh, the fact of um, overzealous parents and coaches, doctors, uh, the abuse, again, of some of these kids playing at high levels who live on over-the-counter pain medicine because of the scheduling and the demand. And, of course, the more talented that young boy or girl is, the more the mental and physical pressure um, piles on, but I, I really, and you're a big reason for it, uh, so am I. <laughs> well, we've come a long way, baby, um, because a lot of times we sit down, whether it's childhood obesity, whether it's eating disorders, whether it's abuse, uh, we, we take a deep breath and we say we're really still treading water, you know? 
Definitely. And it's kind of gone full, full circle because, you know, in 1960s, you know, the American Academy of Pediatrics put out a consensus statement saying, you know, no kids 12 and under should play um, commercialized sports and they shouldn't play collision sports. They're too young. They shouldn't be focused on winning. Um, you know, we shouldn't be uh, monetizing yeah, that's kids like some wisdom. playing games where, for where fun. They, where they where they come up with that wisdom that nobody wanted to listen to? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we, we fell off track and now it's like we're going back to what um, they were saying all along, which, you know, we now know that um, the founder of Pop Warner Football lobbied the medical community because they Big needed time. to lower the age into football. Yes. And so here we are now talking about Well, we have something very, very exciting is happening. You know, there is no safe tackle football, everybody, period. The excitement of flag football being included in the Olympics up, I think, in 2028, is going to be yeah. maybe what something will be, which will change a, a lot of these attitudes regarding um, uh, that that whole world of uh, uh, the uh, um, risks at some of these that levels. Was, that was really exciting news. I was um, beyond happy to see that. I live in Los Angeles, so that's going to be the Olympics that's held here. And, you know, when I first started saying that flag football was the future of football, I would get death threats and trolled on Twitter like crazy. Um, so to just see, you know, You're six, kidding. seven years later, yeah. no, oh, no, I can tell you some really crazy stories about yes. what football fans would say about that. They really thought I was trying to ruin football. Um, and instead, I was just predicting um, where the science was pointing to. and. And also as a way to make the game sustainable, which makes you, well, you know, I think, um, more the, of an advocate. The, yes. The reason, Kimberly, I co-authored the book with the great Hall of Fame uh, volleyballer, Sharky Zartman, hashtag Hey Sports Parents, was the epidemic, in capital letters, everybody, of youth sports overuse injuries. I talked to uh, one of my guests, the team physician of the New York Yankees, Dr. Chris Ahmad, he said half the Tommy John surgeries are teenagers makes you step back and go, whoa, man, it, it, the, this, there's so much overuse in so many different areas. So the area, again, of education and, uh, again, the pediatric wisdom of, of trying to not push these kids. But then we have 10-year-olds who are doing double and triple jumps in my world of figure skating. And, uh, uh, you know, you got the women doing quad jumps. So... <laughs> Uh, you have that incredible uh, uh, challenge, and I, I guess uh, I, you know you've been involved in so many different areas where you've come up against these powerful groups. You know how you doing, Kimberly? <laughs> I'm doing pretty well. I mean, I would have to say that um, I learned a lot about myself over the 20 years and what what mental toughness was really about um, when you just continue to go up against. Um, not only um, the powerful entities, but the court of public opinion. Now that we have social media, you can really get bombarded um, on all, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, you name it. Yeah, it's um, a big, big, big topic, uh, big, big topic in the world of youth sports or in any of our worlds is this challenge of social media. Uh, good luck to us all with that yeah, when right. it comes to some of these different uh, uh, situations uh, when, we, we, when you're dealing uh, in, in that regard. And how has the cooperation been, you know, because talking again on the real optimistic side, and there's a lot of optimism in a lot of ways, how has the cooperation been, uh, in your opinion, between coaches and parents who are dealing with some of these uh, athletic uh, young kids and the, the medical profession, uh, have you found the cooperation really growing? I, mean, I think there's a real disconnect between um, coaches and parents or people who own, you know, let's say in cheerleading, cheerleading gyms or someone who, let's say, runs a soccer league, you know, and the parents themselves. I mean, I think that pa the parents are often seen 
as as the root of the problem, but I actually see it the opposite. The parents and the kids are a product of the system itself. And if we make winning the focus, then parents are also going to make winning the focus because that's how the system uh, is, that's what it's focused on. And so they're not going to be changing that with their behavior. They're going to play their part in it. And we know that that focus is particularly for young kids is toxic. So we're going to see toxic parents. We're going to see toxic coaches. We're going to see from, you know, uh, anywhere from officiating or even to the governing bodies themselves. So you know, it's been amazing, focus, Kimberly. Uh, about three, four months ago, I had somebody in the world of officiating, in the world of umpiring and refereeing. He said, you know, we can't get any volunteers anymore. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> It's too much. What, what, it just, no, it really, he, he's it, right. My very first time I officiated an acrobatics and tumbling meet, it was at the university. Well, it was the second meet. Um, and as soon as it was over, one of the parents came up to me, walked up to me like face to face to confront me about his daughter's team losing. And I was like, would you walk up to the football coach at the University of Maryland? or walk up to a football official and say what you're saying right now to, you know, the staff, that would never happen. But it, it was shocking to me that they would have the nerve to do that. And, of course, they were ready to get security, but everyone was like, no, don't worry, Kim will handle it. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, really. I got Kimberly, this, what, don't worry. What's the, what's the website people can find out about you and, and your organization, the, one of the best sites? Um, Nationalcheersafety.com is where they can find me and then also on um on twitter or it's known as x now it's kimberly archie and um on instagram cheer safety so besides cheer again what are some of the other sports that are catching your eye and the attention you're paying within so all of these areas well, primarily, uh, I've worked in um, soccer, cheerleading, um, gymnastics, dance, and then, of course, um, football. I've done a lot of work in on cases involving American football. You know, it's interesting, Kimberly. There's a chapter in my book. It's called The Prodigy Sports. We all want kids to grow up playing lots of different sports, having different experiences, using different parts of the body. And that's great unless you're a part of what you just mentioned, any gymnastics, figure skating, uh, even soccer, uh, tennis, where we see very, very early specialization because yeah. this is what the one young boy or girl wants to do. It's not that they're pushed. This is what they want to do. I want to ask you more about that uh, when we come back. We're talking with Kimberly Archie. She's the founder of the National Cheer Safety Foundation, USA Sports Safety. She's a real champion of these uh, young kids uh, and um, their activities. We'll be right back. It's the Sports Doctor. Hey, everybody. MVP Parent Magazine is special. Evidence-based topics on all areas of youth sports. Rich Dubin, a sports dad himself, takes his three decades of publishing. He just celebrated the 12th anniversary of the acclaimed LER Lower Extremity Review Magazine, one of sports doctors' key supporters, and he pours it into MVP Parent. Factual evidence-based info on such key topics like physical and mental training, nutrition, injury awareness, treatment, recovery, and prevention. I am proud to be a contributor to MVP Parent with the Sports Doctors in article in each issue. Go to MVPParent.com. MVPParent.com. Hey, it's Dr. Bob. School Uniforms by Tommy Hilfiger is setting a new standard within the school uniform market. More schools are understanding the value that uniforms provide, school pride and identification being one of them. Another is a well-recognized reduction of student pressure to keep up with classmates in the real world of what to wear each day to school. School Uniforms by Tommy Hilfiger provides amazing quality and value to its partner schools and families. It is truly the first brand in this market that students are excited about wearing. Go to the website, globalschoolwear.com, globalschoolwear.com. Here 
everybody. We are back live from Chicago. Happy November 1st. We're talking with Kimberly Archie, uh, the uh, founder of the National Cheer Safety Foundation, UA, USA Sports Safety. Um, and, and you talked a little bit about, I know you've been in the, in the, the child athlete abuse uh, disorder world. Um, you talked about that, that the last time, too, and some of these concerns. Uh, uh, with these kids. Are you still involved in that area? I am. I went in May to Colombia, to South America, and trained, oh, about 50 to 60 choreographers in competitive cheerleading on our program to prevent child athlete abuse disorder. And these choreographers travel all over the country and even internationally to do choreography for competitions for competitive cheer. We call it all-star, all-star cheer. And so they go into various gyms all over the country and are exposed to hundreds of kids throughout the season. So it was really great because instead of having to train all those gyms, we were able to train in one training all of these child athlete advocates who go out into the field throughout the year and can be the eyes and ears to um, make it a better place for kids in all-star cheerleading, a safer place. Yeah, when you use the term athlete abuse disorder, I found that very, very interesting. Who's got the disorder? The the abuser uh, or the or the kid? Are you talking about you know preventing symptoms that a a, a victim of child so of, of it athlete is, abuse? It, it, it is of the system itself. So child ah, athlete abuse disorder is um, the win-at-all-cost mentality where we put winning over the well-being of the people who play, which are, in this scenario, children. So there could be athlete abuse disorder, too. We see, we see that um, on the college and pro level, too, where you know fans or people love the game more than the people that play them, or we don't humanize. Um, who's actually playing the sport, and we allow things in sports that we wouldn't allow in everyday society. So, for example, when a coach runs a kid in the heat doing suicides as a punishment and the kid has um, cardiac arrest or heat illness and dies, we call it an accident. But if you were at a daycare or you're at home or say you're a step-parent and you ran your kid in the heat for not doing their chores and they died from heat illness, there would likely be an, a criminal indictment of the, of the step parent. Um, so that's what child athlete abuse disorder is. Yes. Can include something like that. And then again, uh, uh, a litigation consultant is a role you've played. I, I guess as an advocate of uh, like what you're talking about, the education and the prevention of some of these, the word punishment should not be part of the vocabulary of youth coaches, period. No, coaches should never use exercise as punishment. I get a lot of pushback on that and people that get upset with me when I say that. Human performance peaks under praise and not pressure. Children, you know, are not signing up for the Marine Corps. We don't break them down and build them yes. up. Well, the, you know, um, it's interesting. The pressure could be a positive thing. Positive pressure is okay with me. Punishment ain't. <laughs> When, we, when we're using whatever the uh, situation, especially in youth sports, and we hear that question all the time in my emails, again, which is, you know, you want uh, uh, kids to learn lifestyle and teamwork and all of these positive sides of things, even highly competitive kids. It can be, uh, we talk about it a lot in the upcoming documentary, it can be a positive situation, but in some instances it can become really abusive, both physically and mentally. Can't right? Well, sure, and kids are are different. Not you know, every kid doesn't. I mean, learn. my knees are killing. My knees are killing me, Kimberly, because you got me jumping rope and running stairs uh, when I'm running and jumping and cheerleading, right? <laughs> well, yeah, the human body can only take you know so many repetitions, and until we start to understand you know how Tommy John you know occurs or how tennis elbow occurs or how even I would consider CTE in the group of overuse. It's taken too many hits. 
Um, until we start looking at those things and how we teach kids to play games that are really supposed to be for fun, we realize that, you know, they only can have so many repetitions. So we have to use more strategy in teaching kids and now you've been a champion also. You, you, you've been a champion in this whole CTE, uh, the uh, brain repetitive injury. That, that's such a gigantic story, haven't you? Yeah, and it's been, you know, goes back to the NFL, you know, brain damage case when NFL players didn't just sign up for a lawsuit. Many of them did it to take a stand on behalf of athletes to say, like, when we know better, we should do better. And we know the younger the guys signed up to play and the more hits they've taken, the worse um, symptoms that they had and in earlier ages that they had the symptoms. And so we learned from these great NFL retired players that we needed to advocate for kids to play flag and for us to be able to look at hits yes, we had in a, a different way. We had a prominent neurosurgeon, Dr. Uh, Amir Hadani, who was on the show a few weeks ago uh, uh, with their great brain health organization talking all about youth concussions and how there's been so much tremendous improvement in awareness, attention, treatment, uh, et cetera. We were talking about hyperbaric oxygen at the time mm -hmm. uh, where we featured uh, their educational director, the Howe Foundation, Hillary Loftus, talking again about hyperbaric oxygen and the treatment of uh, concussions. You know, compared again, the NFL all those years ago, uh, somebody took a real head bang. Someone said, how many fingers? Okay, back in the game. Uh, <laughs> right. You know, there's so much more attention uh, in that, that whole area. But concussion sports, again, it, it's part of the sport. And this is why uh, you would end up getting people uh, with threats against you. If, God forbid, you started talking about the, da the dangers we should be paying attention in football. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, right. Good thing it didn't stop me, though, right? I, I evidently, it, it really, really didn't. And you know, again, all those years ago, where I would be marveling at the athleticism of some of these cheerleaders, and how I felt that it was being sloughed off in the area of the kinds of athletes that were were uh, necessary, and how much safety there was. Um, was um, it was serendipity that uh, I came across you. I don't know how many different years ago you were on the Sports Doctor. I don't know. I think it's been ten years ago or something. Come on, it's been a long time. Yes, it has. Well, it's, it's great to have you back. Give me again the website people can find out about you and all your great work. They can find me at nationalsurefsafety.com, and they can also find me on social media as Kimberly Archie or at Sure Safety. Great. And we'll look to uh, uh, keep you on the uh, on the up and up, and with some future shows. Kimberly Archie, again, the founder of the National Cheer Safety Foundation, a champion of youth sports safety. Thank you so much. Hold on, we'll be right back with Sports Doctors in Texas. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. Nature's Medicine for Modern Living, a people and plants dialogue hosted by Sophie.Health. At Sophie, we bring together experts and voices who rarely cross paths. Our quest is to illuminate the ancient world of plant medicine and reimagine it for the connected age. Join us to explore new boundaries of digital personalized medicine with deep roots in the natural world and hear from our community of international pioneers who are validating this new paradigm and improving how we feel, sleep, and cope with daily stresses naturally. Sophie.Health, reconnecting people and plants. Once upon a time, human slavery was just a fact of life. Right now, animal abuse is often considered normal in time, it won't be. Animal Aid campaigns peacefully against all forms of animal abuse and promotes cruelty-free living. 
Check out animalaid.org.uk. It's time for a kinder world. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. Hey, everybody. MVP Parent Magazine is special. Evidence-based topics on all areas of youth sports. Rich Dubin, a sports dad himself, takes his three decades of publishing. He just celebrated the 12th anniversary of the acclaimed LER Lower Extremity Review magazine, one of sports doctors' key supporters, and he pours it into MVP Parent. Factual evidence-based info on such key topics like physical and mental training, nutrition, injury awareness, treatment, recovery, and prevention. I am proud to be a contributor to MVP Parent with the Sports Doctor is In article in each issue. Go to MVPParent.com. MVPParent.com. Hey, everybody. We are back live from Chicago. It is the Sports Doctor is In segment where we preview some upcoming shows and guests, add some Bob Guider wisdom, answer a few emails. We do have some great shows coming up. The whole topic of alcohol, alcohol uh, challenges, abuses in sports, out of sports. Uh, author, speaker, Andrew Culkin will be joining us. And one of our fave guests returns. Natalie Graves, she's a real champion in the social work world of young athletes, their families, the coaches. Uh, she'll be back following week. Um, former Australian rock star, Michelle Blood. Now she's a major uh, affirmation, mental health advocate, uh, author, speaker. Uh, she'll be returning as well as uh, we were just listening to the commercial for MVP Sports, uh, Rich Dubin, uh, the longtime publisher of Lower Extremity Review, one of the leading sports medicine physical therapy magazines, and MVP Parent Magazine, quarterly, uh, really up-to-date, great information in the whole world of youth sports. A little bit of Bob Guida wisdom uh we always had activity on the mini trampolines uh no matter who the athlete was what their sport was what their age or level was they were balancing catching a ball swinging a hockey stick swinging a bat catching uh a volleyball on the mini tram whether they were barefoot they were on different parts of the tram, one foot at a time, whether they were wearing sneakers, again, at different parts of the tram. Again, looking at the mini trampoline, Bob would always say, as a clock. So if I had my right foot and I was at three o'clock, then the trampoline would be tilting me in, pro- pronating my whole body, and I would be activating all the stabilizers and support muscles, fighting it, balancing it, stabilizing it. If I moved to the other side, the forces were different, totally opposite. Great, fun piece of equipment, including bouncing uh, up and down. One of the greatest exercises for all of us uh, is, is bouncing uh, and uh, stimulating that whole uh, lymph system where are the emails? There we go. Rich says, my 11-year-old son has played soccer since he's eight years old. The last couple of years, he's had heel discomfort. The podiatrist uh, uh, talked about calcaneal apophysitis. Rich, there is that large growth area on the back bottom of the heel. It doesn't solidify in boys to 15, 16 years old, girls maybe 13, 14, and it's susceptible to stress. Soccer is famous for cleats very, very young, very early. And the clusters of cleats are right underneath those heels, as well as the ball of the foot. It was up to me. I wouldn't have cleats used till adolescence. I would use multi-nub shoes, which, which distribute the weight much more evenly. Um, so you want to pay attention, again, to uh, the fact that uh, you, you, you're not in those kinds of cleats. Hopefully, you've been advised on the uh, role 
of orthotics. I've been using orthotics for this condition for decades with great success. If the condition is recurrent or is hanging on that young boy or girl, uh, and sometimes it can trick you, sore, it's not sore, any running, jumping activity can aggravate that. When there is a foot imbalance, imagine that flat-footed, excessively pronated young boy or girl, then the shearing force of pronation now becomes an aggravating factor. So does the impact force in a higher arch foot to the heel. So when we would see that it was ongoing or repetitive, orthotics could be magic, along with all the other smart things of making sure they're in the best shoe for them, that you're including. You can't push through this condition. You've got to include intelligent rest, backing off uh, if it's symptomatic. Uh, Grace says, I'm a 40-year-old runner. How important is um, leg length in uh, running or of uh, any sports? You know, Grace, uh, a leg length imbalance is quite common. Many times it's postural. One foot collapses slightly more than the other. Hip rotation or hip uh, imbalance can be tilting, can be involved. And often it's no big deal unless it is. So if there is a persistent lower extremity concern, back problems, hip, knee problems, foot ankle problems, then we want to pay attention to identifying that uh, what we call limb length discrepancy. We want to be able to, in some instances, compensate for it. Orthotics are a great way. For years and years, lifts have been used in shoes in order to make up for a measured or notable discrepancy. Now, it can be anatomical. Someone might have had a past injury, a fracture in the lower leg, upper leg, uh, where as a result of healing, there was some sort of compromise in the limb length. Other times, it could be scoliosis that could be involved with the curvature of the spine. Again, where we might be looking functionally. Again, if that hip tilting. Uh, chiropractic is a great profession to identify limb length. The problem with a lift is it's only really one dimension, where orthotics is three different dimensions. So we might have that eighth inch, 16th inch lift incorporated with proper custom orthotics. Uh, pay attention to that if you, you're symptomatic. Tom says, you know, in your book, you talk about the two best exercises uh, for kids to include. What about adults? Hey, Tom, you're right. Uh, we're talking about strengthening feet and ankles and working on balance. Uh, again, whether you have a, uh, a youngster uh, who's playing uh, any particular sport at any level at any age, uh, whether you yourself are a walker or a runner or you're playing pickleball, uh, you're doing yoga, uh, you are uh, a playing tennis, strengthen your feet and ankles. You could do it with rubber bands. If you don't know what you're doing, get some instruction from a physical therapist. Balance exercises, as simple as balancing on one foot, using great pieces of equipment. I just talked about the mini trampoline in the Bob Guida uh, segment, tilt boards, the great piece of equipment, the sand dune stepper. We call it instability training. Create instability, let all the stabilizing systems of your body work. Work on that in November. See you next week, everybody. Thanks. Sports Doctor.